Hey guys, I'm Danny. And I'm EJ. And this is the Your Living Proof Podcast. Where we talk about addiction and how it affects the family, from the brutal to the beautiful and everything in between. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Your Living Proof Podcast. If you haven't listened to the last couple of episodes, you're going to want to get caught up because we've had some bomb guests. Yeah, last last week was amazing. Smith Alley. Yep. So I mean, his so story amazing. is probably the most predominant and common story that's happening to young men in, in every community. Yep. I mean, and it's crazy because he's, he's a beautiful young man. He's tall, dark, and handsome. He's the guy that every mom wishes yep. their daughter would bring home. And, and he's been to hell and back yeah, at 18 years old. He's been to hell and back. And he's trying to pioneer a, a path for other people to be able to work through this also. So tune into that. Share it. Share that episode because every single family is affected by what he went through. Absolutely. Like yep. every family. So listen to that. But this week we have a guest, and I just have to say this this has been on my like bucket list. I've wanted this to happen for a couple months. If you've been listening, then you already heard our guest's sister. So episode 19, we had a guest on named Holly, and she was amazing. And she talked to us about what her family was experiencing. Her family um, was working with Danny at the time to help her brother. And that episode is, it's a little bit gut-wrenching because... At the end of the episode, it's she's basically saying, we don't know what's going to happen. And we leave the episode with her explaining that her parents left, drove away, and were looking in their rearview mirror and could see their son sitting on the grass in front of a treatment center. He had COVID, and they, they left. They did the really difficult thing, saying, we are not participating in this anymore they chose to be the disruption and they drove away and I've been thinking about it ever since because in my mind I know that moment is the beginning of a brand new story and I've been wanting to hear well it's like out of a movie right like it's every parent or spouse or siblings worst nightmare and everyone on here knows my story yeah. And there was a similar moment when my dad and brother walked in the basement of that home and I'm on death's door. It's just that that sobering moment. Yep. You know, and so that was that was how that episode ended, but two months later the situation's much different. Yeah. And so, so Yeah. So we, we have we have, have Josh today. The man. Yes, the man. So I'm gonna give a little <laughs> Ooh, a little that, that beatbox a, intro a, right there. Some extra on but it. But we're happy to have him. We're gonna get him started and have him tell him tell you guys a little bit about him but the transformation in just two months is not only incredible in a physical sense but also a spiritual sense and we just want everyone out there to have this perspective and understanding from someone who's still in it because life's not perfect and beautiful yet right I mean there's a lot of things to uh, uphill battle but our goal I guess I'll speak for all three of us yeah in this episode is to speak to every mother out there every sister every spouse who loves someone so much and is watching their life unravel. They're worried how much longer they're going to have with them to know that there is hope, but it's hard. It's going to require sacrifices. So no further ado, let us introduce Josh and Josh, why don't you just take a minute and tell everybody a little bit about you and your story and 
Okay. Yeah. So I went into treatment uh, exactly 58 days ago and completed a very painful process. Yeah. Been there. Yep. Yep. Very familiar for you. And a little bit about my background. So I'm the youngest uh, in my family. I have three sisters and one brother. Uh, My parents have been married my whole life and my sister Tori's whole life. Before that, there was um, a previous marriage for my mom and my dad. And when they got married, my mom brought in my brother Corby and my dad brought in my sisters Holly and Alicia. And then my sister Tori was from my mom and dad and then me. And my story is kind of very similar in the aspect of it being a beautiful home. Yeah. You know, the addiction holds no prisoners. And I had a good upbringing. Um, I had clothes, shelter, food, transportation. I was warm. My needs were met physically. And just from the lack of knowledge of addiction and the way that that story progressed, that's where I lost that connection with the family and it became dysfunctional and very powerful, that addiction of not knowing how powerful the drug was. As a boy, what, what did you enjoy doing? Like what was before drugs came into play? What was, what was it that made life fulfilling for you? Um, so I loved the outdoors. I really got involved with baseball. I got involved with football. I did wrestling. I just was very active I yeah. was OCD, ADHD, just hyper and <laughs> active and did not like to sit around. And and you, you, wrote, you rode horses at what age? What, time, what age did you start? Oh, before I could walk. Okay. Because when my wife found that out. We're going. We're she's going. like, oh, awesome. well, I'm going to yeah. go on a date with Josh. Yeah. And I was like, okay. Was like, Great. <laughs> exactly. So awesome. just plan on that. So you loved life. Like, yes, you enjoyed absolutely. life. Okay. Absolutely. So... You know, at a young, young age, even in kids will be kids, right? In yeah. elementary. And, and I had very curly hair. That was something that always sticks out to me as I started to heal through this recovery process that, you know, I was made fun of for the curly hair. I was made fun of for being more chubby and not fast or the things that kids just bullied us about. Sure. And it, it harbored resentments throughout my childhood and into my teenage years and even to adulthood. And those were things that I just started developing resentments towards kids. And I thought I was less than, and I wasn't good enough. And, and, and wouldn't you say at that age, that young age, cause you know, I had a lot of struggles, sort of similar, sort of not, but mine were kind of the pressures of life. Like, how am I going to be successful? What am I going to do? How am I going to measure up? And wouldn't you say at even a young age, things happen, but you couldn't really even process those feelings at the time. You just knew oh, that absolutely. It, it just made you, unhappy or insecure but you don't even know how to process them you know absolutely yeah i would agree completely which is interesting because that's that was our guest from last week his same thing where he was like in first grade i realized i was different because i had a stutter yeah and that was the first time i I was really big tall and yeah in my family they just tried my parents wanted the best for me and so they got me involved in uh, resource classes in school you know because i couldn't read i couldn't write i couldn't spell very well i was very slow at learning everything and i took that as something that i was different i wasn't normal 
you know, and I was made fun of because I would go to this one particular resource class when all the other kids are going <laughs> to the other classes, you know, and I'm like, yep. okay, I don't like this, but. And at so, that age, it's just awkward. It is. It is. It is. You don't know what you're doing. It's just like you feel lost and lonely. And my parents, they were very, very active in their um, work. It took away a lot of the times from time that I wish they were around more. Just dad being into the, you know, firefighter and into a policeman and the position that he held and then mom and the doctors and nurses and just they're very good at their profession at the same time it took away from the family yeah. in a whole and so it's I've, that balance every family's yeah. trying to find provide for the family but also how to how to how to create that balance is hard right what age were you when you were introduced to drugs or alcohol so later in life it was approximately 20 to 21 years old okay. um, when i first started realizing them yeah um, i didn't experiment at all in high school or in junior high growing up didn't even it wasn't even around like I was just naive to it I sure. believe I'm sure it was there but I was very naive to it but I started to develop this facade or okay I've got to be this way like something was wrong inside and yeah. so I had to put on this mask I believe you said it in a previous podcast that I've got to be this way but I feel this way when I'm alone and you know with mom and dad and, and the sisters, I'm the youngest, and there's a seven-year gap between me and, and uh, Tori. Yeah. So it was just me at, at home a lot, and I was by myself. I just became this, this loner, and I liked it. But I also started to become addicted to not drugs or alcohol, but this instant gratification of, you know, the pornography of yep. the masturbation that every kids go through, yep. I think. No, you're um, in your own world. Yeah, yeah. It's your own reality. And it just, I didn't know what I was creating at the time, that that demon. Yeah. You know, and in the society that I grew up in, you didn't talk about it. It was quiet. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't something that, it just was fear. You were feared of it yep. because of the repercussions. and Which had an, an appeal in its own. It did. Yeah. Oh, it did. And that kind of stemmed to something that was very life altering and changing in my life. And I'm not sure how much that you guys know of my story, but when I became 18, an adult, um, at that time, these, these images, you know, that I went through a, this, this addiction of pornography became something that almost became a reality for me. I started to experiment with women and I started to, you know, enjoy their company and, and they were just all around. It became something that fulfilled my emptiness inside because I was fulfilling it in women, whether it was instant gratification or it was just very selfish thing. But that kind of blew up to a situation where, it changed my life completely because I had placed a young woman in a position where she felt uncomfortable. And that led into a situation in my life that changed my life forever. Yeah. And that, that addiction of self gratification took me away from the opportunity of learning what makes a woman feel comfortable and what doesn't. And so to be more 
broad without a lot of details. I was charged with certain things in my life and in on paper and my family as a whole came together and we just couldn't believe what had happened. And this resulted in me registering for seven years. And when that took place, I ended up saying to myself, I'm not this, yeah. I'm a drug addict. Yep. So I dove in head first and I have over, and I say this with humility, but to get the point across how bad it was for me, over 20 felonies on my record, 33 misdemeanors, five years in prison, seven years in jail, in and out, because I wanted to be known as this kind of a criminal, not this person that didn't realize that he put a woman in a position that she didn't feel comfortable in, even though she joined him in everything that was taking place, still felt that she couldn't say, hey, stop, I'm uncomfortable. And so I just hit the ground running. Yeah. And it didn't matter how many felonies I stacked up. It didn't matter what people thought of me as far as the rough side, yeah. the drug addict. Um, I wanted to be that person. I didn't how did, how that. did it start with the drugs? Every family member always wonders how this process started, right? Like, what was the first thing you tried? Um, so it was to impress a girl. It was Oxycontin, okay. just right out the gate. The devil's drug right there, I'll tell you. <laughs> There's more serious things out there now, unfortunately, but that was what got me too. Yeah. That was my miracle drug because everything that I was experiencing now at the age. So when this took place, I had just turned barely 19, and then it was two years later that this young lady came forth and said, I didn't feel comfortable about this. So I was right at that statue of limitation. Yeah. Two years later, it affected her so bad that she finally brought it to. And I don't know exactly her thinking behind it, but it's taken a lot of work and a lot of being open, therapy, treatment, and just, you know, making amends and, and going through this process. But that drug gave me that numbness where yep. I didn't have to feel anymore. I didn't have to feel any of that. And... You know, because of all of these court orders, I ended up just always relapsing, just constantly using, became so good at hiding the drug, kept a job, you know, looked, presented well. Nobody knew that I had this addiction, and then that started to mess with me, and that's when I got sloppy because I wanted people to know this part of the addiction, mm-hmm. not this. Yep. So that turned into seven years to 10 years, and that led all the way until 2015, because I took a deal where I engaged in inappropriate activity was what I was charged with. And I spent 90 days in jail and then I had to register for the seven years. Well then that seven years turned into even longer because I kept violating from drugs Yeah, and that increased. So it wasn't until 2015 that I was able to get that expunged, removed and had what I thought was my life back. And that's where I started to turn the addiction over but then from 2015 to now has been the process of healing and there has been very a huge amount of pain yeah in that process which wasn't easy fast forwarding to 
you know, the day I entered treatment, how it all came about, I was literally got out of prison from 210 pounds. And when I checked into treatment, I was at 132 pounds. And I'm back up to 195 in a matter of 55 days. Whoa. Your body was like, thank you for, first of all, (laughs) not giving me poison every day. Second of all, for giving me food and sleep. (laughs) Yeah, and it just... I kind of want to talk more about that process now. Yeah, I, I'm glad. My wife's so about over in tears over I, here. So I am, I keep I'm just really trying. grateful that you're honest and open. I mean, our show, I think you've read the title to it, that before my wife, well, when my wife and I met each other, we had experienced before, right? We just met each other. Hey, I love you. You want to get married? Sure. Well, already in our resume was, you know, failed marriages, putting a child up for adoption at a young age, uh, addictions, jail time, everything. So we've been tried to be open because it's, you know, I know you have the sticker of mine and you have the shirt. It's the mantra that we live by, which is our secrets keep us sick. And I just commend you for being open and honest. And I, and I know that you just brought a lot of people close to either tears or tugged at their heart by sharing that. And I, I want to talk about this process now as well, right? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I but I do want to say thank you for sharing what you just shared, because as we've been learning um, from multiple guests, pornography is something nobody wants to attach their name to. Mm-hmm. Anybody's willing to stand up and say, I, I have anxiety. I have depression. I, I shoot heroin. Yeah, That's I'm an alcoholic easier to say than I got addicted to pornography and it led me to a really dark place. And so I'm really grateful for your willingness to be vulnerable with that information because it's so powerful because you're not unique. Well, and I, it's not a unique story. It's, it's a very common story, unfortunately. And I just want to explain to every parent or spouse out there, you know, if you listen to our podcast last week with Smith Alley, you know, when the pornography became such a problem and weighed on him so heavy, what was the alternative? He planned to kill himself. To kill himself. At 14 years old. So there's literally a pivotal moment, right? Like most people think, okay, you have this problem. It should go in this direction. Well, I'll tell you what happens almost every time now is either people start to contemplate ending their life because it gets that bad or they find relief. Yeah. You know, and I actually feel like, you know, pornography and things that contributed to my addiction as well. I feel like people like myself, we just found an easy way out. Those who just sat in their feelings without any relief are the ones who eventually end up contemplating or taking their life because they just can't take it anymore. So you found relief in something, at least a temporary relief, right? Well, it did, you know, and that was that temporary release. But at the same time, it created something so powerful within that it took my free agency that I believe everybody is first given. Yep. It took that away. Oh, and I no sure. longer had that gift or that freedom to choose. It became survival. Even though you felt for a while that you did, right? You almost felt oh, powerful yeah. and you were you were manipulating everyone and everything around you. You were hiding this secret and then it just compounds over and over. Oh yeah. To where you're tangled in a web you can't get out of. I was listening to one of your podcasts and I can't remember what number it was, but or excuse me, it was your story. Yeah. That you're sharing on your page and you had talked about some things that just were not you and you had talked about the the situation of going to rob your drug dealer yep 
you know, and I'd thought about this and, and I thought, has that been something that I've done so terribly bad? And this remembrance came up, this memory that my addiction became so powerful. And I share this because I came from a good home. Oh, he, his family's incredible. I can vouch for that. Like the best of the best. <laughs> yeah, they're amazing. Beautiful, incredible, loving, kind, hardworking, intelligent, everything. Well, thank you. But it was Christmas time. I was broken. I had no money. I had some connections with, you know, drug dealers and, and, and how that process goes. And I literally had this desperation that I need to get high. I need that next fix. Yeah, whatever it takes. Yeah, whatever it takes. So downstairs, my father had his uniforms, his police uniforms, and wow. everything that he's kept over the years from being this police officer. And I went down there and, and took some items, and I told my friend, let's go. Yeah, We're going to go. I'm going to look the part. Yep, yep. and I'm going to get this. We're going to get all this drugs. We're going to get this money, and we're going to have a good Christmas. Yep. We followed through with it. We impersonated this situation, and we... We did what we wanted to do, and we bought all of these awesome presents and these gifts, and just, you know, we thought we were at the pinnacle. You know, we're doing it. Yeah. Isn't it <laughs> amazing how at the moment it seemed like a good idea, oh my and now gosh. you can barely get it off your tongue because it sounds so <laughs> crazy. <laughs> oh, so crazy. Anyway, I don't even think they know that, but my mom and dad, they're probably just like, oh, my God. Yeah, I, th I think but. they know more than you think. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> been the case for me at least yeah so it's so powerful and like i say now the work has begun yeah and it's not easy oh, well and those heaven. moments that you just explained you know i've shared some of mine but they're they're sobering moments that stick with you forever yeah and what i've learned in 15 years is that my king my savior jesus christ has taken away the pain associated to it the guilt associated to it but the memory stays and it serves a purpose just to remind me right. that it actually happened, to remind me where I actually got to at a point in my life. Absolutely. But no longer do I carry the overwhelming guilt, shame, and pain, and agony, self-loathing over those situations. And that was a process, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know that's what the process that you're in right now. And I just want to explain to everybody, like, it's very emotional for me here. I'm trying to be a little smart, Alex, so I don't break into tears. But when I met... Josh's family, I, I had not yet met him. And I got to hear a lot about him. And despite what you had been through and the things that you had done, that's nothing that people shared with me. It was how much they loved you, who you were as a person, why they were fighting to help. So we have a lot of we have some questions. Mm -hmm. And man, I I, I want to hear more about this. But one of the things I want to know, because my goal is empowering families in which ways they can help. I'm a true believer that people like you and me are one in a million because there are tens of millions of people suffering from addiction. Many are losing their life or spending their life behind bars. It's such a small percentage of people recover. I think now the CDC says that it's 93% people fail to ever recover. Wow. So you're looking at 7%, right? 
my true belief and how I built Living Proof was to help educate the families because what I've seen in my day is the only people who have a chance are people like you and people like me who still have a family, like a team, a, a group of people left who want to help. Right. Right. Absolutely. But there's also this double-edged sword of families hinder people from recovering because they oh, keep yeah. the illness going. And then there's some families that learn how to help in what way. And you know, you don't have to go into a ton of detail, but in what ways do you feel like your family maybe added to or kept you from entering recovery? And then maybe a few things they changed that helped put you down that path, so to speak. Not a forceful situation, but they took away your option, so to speak. I think you nailed it perfect. Um, With my family and my addiction and the way my mind works, I became a master manipulator of any situation. I had an end goal, and I was going to get to that goal, regardless of the love that I had for my family. That was the ultimate goal. And so I became very good at that manipulation skill. I would get money when I needed to. Knowing how to play each family member each like a fiddle, huh? member. Yeah. Each member to their weaknesses. Weakness. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. what I think is amazing is because I'm like, I, I, Danny's talked about that so much with his family. It's like he knew what he could get from his mom. He knew what he could get from his dad. He knew how to play his brother. You know what I mean? And it's just so, it's like a very, it's actually a really good skill set to have once you're recovered. Isn't it amazing that your addiction gives you those tools? You don't even, I don't know where they came from. I didn't read them out of a a book. Right. It just comes because of the simple desperation to give your body what you think it needs. Yeah. Oh, yes. So you manipulated all of them. And what kind of ways did they enable or, or just offend you, affect you that kept, fueling your addiction uh so my mom's more role was she was the tough love it was no money we don't have it we're not giving it to you find your own ride it was the she did what she thought i needed to do to protect this kid you know my son and then my dad who became you know through this process he was more of the the nurturing love the unconditional love the enabler yep and he became somebody that I love so much, just like my mom, but he was the go-to. He was my out, and he knew the pain I was in. And I'm sure 90% of the time, he knew exactly where that money was going. But for some reason, he still did it. Because he loved his son. I sat with your family, and tears rolling down my face, because it was the same exact dynamic that I had with my dad. And being able to look him in the eye and explain the process that my own father went through and what it took and how, what he was going to have to do the unthinkable because of that, uh, that love, that unconditional love. It was powerful. It was, it was an experience, you know, I hadn't even met you at this point, but everyone has that. And what I call it is that string, that last string to hold on to. Right. Mm, Cause if you yeah. look at your life, I mean, it's a shit show, right? Right. Look at this time. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Looking at it, you're like, there was nothing to be proud of. This was, a pathetic way to live. But I always talk about as long as there is one little string to hold on to being that dad. So I don't know if you ever knew, but it would, for my, even my dad, it was that it was, even if it got to the point that I was not allowing the property or the police would be called and I could get him to leave a couple dollars under the doormat at night because I would tell him that I was cold or I was starving. Oh, yeah. 
And he's a smart enough man to know where that's really going, right? Yeah. When you're 112 pounds like I was, it, it's not going to food, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, as long as there's that string to hold on to. So I know your family was concerned. They were upset. They were frustrated. Sometimes they were hopeless. Yet they did have unconditional love, and they always wanted to help you. But I think for a while they might have even given up, right? Oh, yeah. Maybe except for your dad. Yeah. What were some of the things that happened that changed where they learned what to do that kind of forced you down this path? Like maybe where things had changed. Yeah. Did you, <laughs> did you ever like come to a point where you're like, uh Oh, they're on to me. Oh yeah. So there was this, obviously Danny is that <laughs> gift that my family talks about. Um, every addict. I knew nightmare. something. Yeah. I knew something was different. Uh, even being, not coherent, working on my motorcycle, high as could be, not listening to any of my sisters or my parents, just doing what I wanted to do because I need to get that bike fixed to get back up to get drugs. And they presented this contract, this gift to me, and I didn't even look at it, didn't even read it. I didn't care. And so my sister Holly began to kind of share what this was and kind of introduced me how they came in contact with you and how you came into the life. And what was different was I knew that it was going to be a family as a whole because, mm -hmm. right, the only reason I'm not sober today is because, but that, at that time, was because the family was sick too. Yeah, they were sick and separated just mm -hmm. enough you could weave in and out of all of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, so all of a sudden your family said. comes together for the first time, sets aside their differences and they're ready to play ball. Yeah. Well, and so how it all came about was I have one sister and she lives, you know, on the opposite end of the valley as the other sister and one is in between. And anyway, they were looking on Instagram on the newsfeed and your, your website came up, boom. And the one sister seen it, clicked on it, started following, started listening started going through all of that process and and the next day the other sister that popped up clicked on it well they didn't know this so then usually on the weekends they'll go down to my parents house and hang out and they were all down there and said what are we going to do about josh like oh my gosh and my sister tori brought up you and then my other sister's like whoa wait a minute i just started following him and she's like when yesterday anyway it was just this big aha like this is a gift from god this is the answer and so that kind of just started everything and they took the courses and i started to see even under the influence this shift in my family that i'd never seen before they started to understand addiction which instantly fear came at me because like, crap. <laughs> yeah you're like no my cover's yeah. blown yeah <laughs> We have an insider. <laughs> right. And I just, oh, it, it, it was amazing how it worked out looking back now. But at the time, I knew I was screwed. Like, there goes the money. There goes everything. And then the first time my dad approached me, and he's like, you no longer have a home here. I'm going to take you to the bus stop. Get your stuff. You're gone. I'm like, yeah, right. And I'm just sitting down there, and he's like, I'm serious. Yeah. I'm like, whatever, Dad. Two minutes later, here come some police officers, asked to leave the home. And I thought, whoa, he's serious. And so I ended up packing my stuff, 
and had him take me to the nearest bus stop and ride up to Salt Lake. You know, it's powerful. I really want to drive this point home. The, your family was only able to do that because they had also offered you what you just referred to as the gift, or they gave you a way out. A legitimate, like, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we want to help support you. And, you know, time and time again, I try to help all these families understand, yes, you're going to have to do something difficult like your father just did, which was his worst nightmare. But what gives them that power is having a plan prepared so that they can actually know in their hearts and their mind that as soon as you want, we're ready to help. Yeah, and That's the difference because I think for a long time, you know, your family's just like a lot of these families out here. They're incredibly successful, educated. They're just amazing individuals. But when it comes to this one thing, why the hell would anyone in your family understand addiction? Mm. Had they not been through it? Like, why would they understand the mind of someone who's been drug induced for so many years? Why would they understand that? They don't. They don't. So they no. sit back and they get frustrated. They want you to knock it off or they're fa they're faithful and they pray for you. And thinking that hopefully hoping it will change, but it takes action, right? All right. It takes some serious action. I want to know now in your own words, can I ask another question, babe? Please. I'm all excited. <laughs> Cause I just feel like we're twins. Just, <laughs> I know. I'm like, <laughs> I know that you're what you're going to ask. Yeah. So please do. Recovery is difficult. And I just mentioned a little bit ago that the only people who recover are those who have a team and a family willing to help because the uphill battles and enormous financial complications and difficulties, emotional, spiritual. It is just a process that once the drugs are removed, once the sex, pornography, alcohol, all of the above are removed, now you're in your own skin. Yeah. Now you have to face those problems you've avoided for so long and you have impacts financially, charges, criminal records, everything imaginable. You have no place to live. I mean, it's just build. It's a build back process. So, I want to know, since you took that leap of faith, because it wasn't a judge that forced you this time. No. Nope. It wasn't a family that forced you. Nope. It was you finally being put in a situation where you have to choose, do I want to live or do I want to die? Yes. They helped create that moment. They helped to create that picture so you could finally see it. But now that you've done the work and you've put your foot forward, how have they helped? Like, what are some of the ways your family has rallied around to make the impossible possible for you. Oh man. So the, the gift, you know, it's something that definitely has helped. That is the main structure of, and the foundation of, of this build is because as an addict, I'm selfish, I'm greedy. I want everything. I want it my way. I need a reward, instant gratification. So this gift, it was a contract. I'll give you this, you give me this. And it was a way for me in my mind, because it was so sick to say, hey, you know, I could still give up this, get the help needed, get healthy and get this. Yeah. Right. It was a yeah. reward. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it was perfect. It's just how my mind worked. So this in this contract, there was tugs both way, you know, find a sponsor, get into treatment, do IOP. We're going to support you as far as groceries food we're going to give you a place to stay love. treatment love yeah yeah we're going to work as a whole we're going to help you every way possible to give you your life back and you know what's powerful is that everything in that agreement that your family did with you a contract agreement whatever you want to call it isn't it amazing that it was really what they're asking you to do 
is giving back to yourself. Yeah. You're not giving them anything. It's not like, hey, if you come over and weed my yard or, you know, clean my car, I'll give you this. They're saying, hey, if you do this for yourself, I'm going to do this to help. Right? Right. And, and I've seen everything. I mean, I've seen the agreement your family put together. And we don't have to share all the details, but I can tell you it differs for everybody. It may be some families helping with the children, daycare, you know, or helping watch a dog that can't be with them at the time or helping them with, you know, some of their, the charges they have and the financial ramifications there or helping them in any way, shape or form. But most of all, it's continued love and support. I'm here. I'm invested. I'm praying for you. I'm here emotionally for you because you're doing what it, you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So I think that's for every listener out there trying to understand this gift. We're not going to give you all the tools. You have to reach out for some of the details, but <laughs> everything in this agreement that the family does to help what they're asking the individual and Josh's situation to do is everything helps him. It's do this so that you can get healthy. Do this so that you can stay healthy. Do this so that you can prove in this regard. None of it's doing anything for them. Yeah. And that's the powerful yeah. part of this. And I think that's the way our, our Heavenly Father, I think that's the way God works with us too, is everything we're asked to do is really to help improve us, Yeah, to draw us closer to Him. But He's not asking us to do anything for Him, right? Because He doesn't need it. Right. And that's how these family and this dynamics the same. Yeah. I asked two questions in a row, babe. So let's give this little okay. blondie. Okay. Well, <laughs> I vividly like have this picture in my mind of pathetic Josh, not the one that's sitting in front of me right now, on the curb with COVID, with his parents hightailing it. And I know, I, I can imagine the pain that they were feeling in that moment. And, and I'm sure like all of the doubt, like, are we doing the right thing? But I want to know what was going through your mind at that point. Do you even remember that moment? Well, that's what I was going to ask. Do you want to, from how I recall it now or in that moment? Because in Whatever that moment, I was under the influence. Yeah. I was yeah. high. Yeah. That's why I was, I was like, do you even remember it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I had went to start my detox uh, in Provo, the Provo. Um, Behavioral health. No, before that. Oh, wow. When I found out that I had COVID, I went in for the two-day uh, detox. Well, it was supposed to be longer, but two-day detox at the actual hospital over sure. in Provo, uh, Utah Valley. And I was there, and when I got there, I was promised that they would detox me from uh, a taper. And it didn't take place, so that kind of sparked an interest in my sister, Tori. So she ended up getting on the phone and figuring out how to get me out of there to make this process a little bit more painful or painless. Yeah. Painful. Probably She's painful. Like, She's probably thinking painful. I, I, it was me <laughs> on the other end of the phone with her. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, I, cause I remember it like so well. Too. Her and I were on the phone for a good half of that day. Yeah. Like hours back and forth scrambling and. Oh know. yeah. And I hurt her so bad that night, but I ended up, my dad came and he's like, Hey, we got you into Provo behavioral health. Let's go. So they checked me out. I had been detoxing. I believe it was about 32 hours or so. Trust me. I was up every minute of that. Oh yeah. And I went in to behavioral health in Provo and my parents, my mom waited out in the truck. My dad came and got me from regional hospital, took me to Provo. I'm at Provo hospital. I walk in and we begin the intake process. 
this is where I'm just like, are you serious? I'm two days detoxing. You want to ask me all these intake questions? Like, <laughs> I'm crawling out like, of my skin. I'm about to rip I'm my... Literally, yeah, yeah, I'm literally laying on the floor. Yep. The nurse comes in. I'm like not even wanting to raise my head to talk to her. And she's wanting to ask all these questions. So my anxiety goes up. My intention... I'm just like, I'm out. I'm of out. Here. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Got to find relief. So I start a fight with my family because I want to go get high. And my dad's like, just stay, just stay. You know, you've already went... To- almost two days just stay i'm like i'm not gonna do this so my mom's like well we're out of here then why did we even waste your time we're gone so they started to walk out i'm like i'm right behind you and i remember the the staff member saying oh all the doors are locked you are unlocked you can leave at any time so my parents go to leave and it won't unlock and i'm like yeah i'm not (laughs) staying here just kidding so they walk out those front doors and i am right behind them and my dad and mom keep looking back and they're like, you're not going with us. And I'm like, I'll jump in the back of the truck. I'm going. Yeah. At least like, it's closer to the me. freeway. And then when they stop at a stoplight, I'll jump out. It's that much closer to Salt Lake to get high. And my dad turned around right before he got in the truck. He's like, you're not going. Wow. With tears in his eyes. And I'm sure with a lot of pain, he just said, get help. And I'm sure that was the hardest thing he's ever had to go through, his only son. Sick. Sick. And they got in the vehicle and they drove off. And I sat there on the grass with COVID, laying literally in front of this sign. And I thought to myself, what is next? And I was hopeless. I didn't want to get sober still at that point. And I knew that I was preparing to kill myself, to end it, to be done. So I got off the grass and I muscled up every strength that I had. And I ran to the nearest bus stop. I got on the bus and I went up to Salt Lake. I got high as I possibly could. But I remember that very moment that my dad and my mom walked away and that kept eating at me. And so after I got high in that next day, I had a very long conversation with my Heavenly Father. Asked to help me with this process. I called my dad, and there he was. I always call it the minute that you knew the game was over. I know what mine was. I've shared it before. Basement of that home, going in and out of consciousness for days. But that moment, you were sitting on the curb. You knew the game was over. And where your family differed this time than maybe before is not only were they unified, but they were ready. They had a plan in place to help. Little did you know, we had strategized. We had, this may be good or not even share. We had gone and even got you a health insurance policy without you knowing, right? Like we put together all the pieces of the puzzle so that when that moment happened, when the game was over, the family was fully prepared, rearing, ready to help. And here we are. 
I just want to say one thing, and that is that I think it's such a beautiful thing that you have that experience that you can always reflect on because um, I love I love Jesus. I love studying Jesus, and I I like to see where he is in people's stories. And for you, he was right there, right? He was there when you were having that conversation, he was like, sweet, I'm, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And when you think about like Peter on the water in the crazy storm, where was Jesus? He was not on the boat. Yeah. He wasn't shouting from the shore. He was in the water. In it. And I love that you have your own exact moment where you can see that. And you'll, ne- you'll, it's your anchor now that will, that will allow you to do what I call becoming because overcoming an addiction is one thing. Becoming after that, who you were always meant to be and who you are is that's pay dirt. That's, that's where you're at now. You're in that process and it, it's, it is a process. It's engaging in that relationship and having those tough conversations with your heavenly father, with yourself, with your savior and you're doing it. It's so beautiful. And it, it feels good. That ties right into the question I had. Is yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everyone out there, I just want you to understand again to to really understand what we're looking at here. Is this situation happened a couple of months ago? Flash forward now. Here's this man in front of us who literally looks like a gym model. I mean, I'm sitting here yeah. busting my butt, right? Like doing these macros cuts and plans, going Danny to the gym is every starving. day. I'm starving my de- myself. <laughs> and you look like physical perfection. You're, there's life back in your eyes. The spirit is within you. And I just want to know at this point, right? What do you think just maybe one or two challenges are and one, one or two blessings? So here you are a couple months into this process. What are maybe one or two things that are just such a blessing? in your life and maybe one or two things that are an immediate challenge, right? Okay. Start with the challenges. Yeah, maybe. Challenge. So what I've realized is the process of this healing now, because I have all these negative uh, programs or these developments, these behaviors. You've taught yourself, yeah. Yeah, in the addiction. And one of them I like to title shame, that shame cycle for me it puts me into a situation where I literally become sick, nauseous, depressed, isolate, almost vomit. It's physical. Physically, yeah. it's just draining. And it could be, it stems, I mean, clear back. I mean, I had an episode just a few days ago where it was, you know, relationships. And, and oh, I'm less than. I just gave this my all or, or whatever. And it didn't have the outcome I thought it would after giving my all. Yeah. But I realized that that shame I had pushed down for so many years it dang near time traveled yep. into the present. And now you have to feel it. And yeah. And you know what? It is the most painful thing because all it's like a domino effect. Yep. All of these relationships. And it was just like, oh my gosh. It's so hard. But I've learned, and this would be probably more on the positive side, that you can't push or dismiss those emotions you have to accept them yep the more you try to bury them and hide them and push them away the more they're going to manifest themselves and the worse it's going to be if you accept them you deal with them 
and literally describe how you're feeling, it slowly through a process of healing, it becomes less and less powerful to where it's maintainable. Yep. That's mm-hmm. the process of healing. So that shame, it's not, it's not only a powerful emotion, but it actually is so powerful it causes physical Absolutely. implications. Yes. Okay. What are some other challenges or um, another challenge? So uh, on those bad days. Yeah. You know, because life happens and sobriety is not easy. It is so much easier to just go use. Sure. You're done, don't have to deal with it. Yep. But like a normie, <laughs> you know, you have to learn to deal with those bad days. Patience. Patience. Yeah, absolutely. Acceptance. Time, which has been really hard for me. I want things right now, right now, right now. So just having that patience and, and, Loving myself, you know, and being okay when that addiction wolf wants to come up. Yep. You and I have talked about this before, and I just want to drive this point home with you and everyone listening. In the 14 and a half years that I've been doing this myself and involved with countless other people, it really boils down to this one simple thing. And my wife, I don't even, I just realized this. You made him a bracelet. What did it say on it? Oh, I did. I made you too. One says willing. So I want you to know what that, how that correlates. The, the bracelet says willing. I have learned in recovery, there's literally what differentiates one person from the other. The 93% of people fail and the seven who recover are those who are willing to do what's necessary rather than what they want. What is it that you want to do will come. But what is necessary to do is how you heal. And each and every day, it's doing those things, even when you don't want to, that you have to do to stay healthy. I also want to know, because I have one other question, you might too, yeah, but... But let what, me give you the other one. Yeah, what the is the other? The second one says able. And, well, for first of all, what Danny said about willing is 100% exactly right, but I also want to add that you have to be willing to let God prevail in your life. Yeah. And then the able is, he is able to do everything he's promised to do for you. And so sometimes when you see yourself on a graph, you might think, well, I was here and then I went down here. But your slope gets real steep going upwards when you connect with God. And he is able to do everything Blow yeah, your mind because everyone, look at Danny. Yeah. I'm like, when I met him, <laughs> he had $30 and like just got his ankle monitor off. Yeah, and he's now got he, ankle like, monitors off, $30, like, had multiple and, felonies still. Yeah, and now he has kids and he doesn't swear in front of them most of the time. And, you know, he, he does all the stuff. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, so. I, I want to know, and just give us two, just two, like the runs that come right off the top of your head. Um, now, a couple months into recovery, clean, still facing all the challenges that you are. What are two beautiful things? Yeah. Two what blessings. What have you gained like, yeah. in the last couple of months? What What have you gained? So it was the first time we've had family pictures in 20 years where we've all been a family together. Wow. That was a huge miracle. That was a huge blessing. That moment. That moment. And that moment is, like you discussed, that is something that is burned into my core now of why I stay sober every day. So my family being a whole, 
and still there, that is a huge blessing. And that is part of bearing that fear, taking that step, and just trusting the process, that process of healing. And that can look any way for anybody. So that is definitely one thing. And I can look at myself in the mirror, which I always am looking. <laughs> yeah. But I can really see that true, authentic self. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that I work on and I still have to overcome and can, you know, become better at, which is a process and that's called life. But I can smile in there and I can sleep at night. And I know that no matter what I'm faced with, I can go to bed sober. Wake up the same way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's awesome. And the contact that I have with, with my higher power, my savior, it's like that picture that you see all the time where that door is closed and there's that window and you can see the savior on the one side and on the other side is you, but there's no door handle, right? Yeah. Cause he can't open it if you don't let him to yep. door handles on your side to let him open. And, and he, there he is. And so that's another beautiful miracle because I've been to a place where, and I think we had discussed this before the first time I saw you in treatment. There is a place in my life that I went and it was a dark, dark, dark place that I know without a doubt that that spirit cannot go. Yep. You're and alone. I, yeah. Just so alone. And we have that choice. Yep. You know, yeah, it was hard. That detox sucked. You know, this process is hard. It's tough, but it is so worth taking that step to have that light back in your life. Don't leave before the miracle happens. That's the saying in recovery. Well, and you're saying. at that point where I remember, I, I remember that point really well, where you're now for the first time believing in that hope, right? Yeah. You're believing in that help. You're believing that God is with you. You're still having these challenges day to day. There are days you wake up and it's so overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. But that's trusting the process and again, doing what's required rather than what you want. I know we're running out of time, but did you have, yeah. what's no. the last question? No, you just asked it. That well, was I, it. Can I ask one more then? Yes. <laughs> I feel so connected to you because literally everything no, that you're saying is yeah. exactly how I feel. Well, actually, I just, I do want to just say, I observed the process of your family and Holly did an amazing job of communicating this, but there were so many random like COVID, you had COVID, like there were so many things that happened Variables. along the way that, that like... There's no way any family could do this on their own. And that's, I was so grateful that, that they found Danny and that they were willing to do whatever he said, because if that he wasn't there kind of being the liaison between the treatment centers and COVID and blah, 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 blah. Right. I don't know what would have happened. I, I well, know it was, that it was difficult enough for them that they were kind of just like, well, throw their hands up. And it's like, you know, now it's, it's, yeah. Just gonna be what it's gonna be. So it was. It, it's just incredible, and I think that's. I think a lot of people just think I don't need to have somebody helping me because they're just gonna have to decide, or we're just gonna take them there, and if they check out, whatever. Well, I'm like, no, you're wrong because that 
what your family endured and, and had to coordinate in order for you to get the treatment just right off the bat was, I mean, there were miracles yeah. that had to be pulled off. So my last question is this, our audience, the people listening, let's be real. They're not me and you. Everyone in active addiction they're is listening me. to no one or nothing, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're getting high. They're underneath the hood of a car or working on a motorcycle or cracked out, looking out their blinds, thinking they're being watched. Trust me. They're not <laughs> listening. So with that in mind, we're speaking to your sisters, to your parents. That's who's listening, wondering how they can help. If there's one thing or what's just one thing you would recommend being in the process that you are right now, where you're at, for those people listening that love someone, they have a Josh in their life. What would you tell them to do? What what can they do? What's one thing? And it doesn't have to be a perfect answer, just from your perspective. So this is one question I really couldn't find an actual answer to, and that's because I don't think there is an exact answer. Sure. I think that there's so many different ways of help for a loved one. But one thing that I've learned in my experience in this process is to trust the process of not myself. Somehow, if you can get through to an addict through connection of, of pain or experience or, or love, I'm not, I'm not sure, but somehow there's will be a door open where you can have that minute of clarity. Yeah. Be ready for it. Yeah. To share with them something from their core that would spark that. Yeah. But like you said at best, there is no rock bottom because you can always open another door. Yeah. It's a bunch of baloney. There's always a door deeper. Trust me. You've been to many rock bottoms where most people would be like, uh, okay, it's over. Yeah. Just fueled it deeper, darker. And I've been there too. Ultimate rock bottom is death. And so I think what you just shared is critical for everyone to understand. Often when I help families prepare this gift, right? Mm-hmm. The part that's difficult is everyone wants a perfect answer. Well, when do we tell them? How do we tell them? That is a difficult process because like you just said, it's unique for every person. However, they were prepared. And so I tell people often the chance that you have to, to present this gift might be on the other side of a plexiglass where they're locked up. It might be next to a hospital bed where they're not only do they have an IV in them to, you know, help sustain life, but they're handcuffed to it. I don't know where it's going to be. Maybe it's when you find them where I've been several times, you found them in a parking lot or sleeping in a car or pick them up from a crack house when that moment's going to happen. Or it may simply just be when they call you and feel defeated. Yeah. Maybe when they're sitting in a parking lot with COVID in the grass shivering. Right. But when families prepare themselves with the tools of how they can help, then I feel like it's a, it's you have a chance. It is great point for me. Yeah, that reward of that contract of that gift was enough to get that fear. Because let's face it, six treatment centers, five yeah. years in prison. I have detoxed without anything before, yep. stripped to nothing, literally laying on the floor in seizures. Still went back out. Still. I know. But But your family. way you've put together (laughs) as a whole dynamic, that gift, that was a way that I was able to, at that moment, that was my gift, 
There's oh, a way okay. out. Here's a way out. And for the first time, your family did it together, united. Everyone's personal agendas, feelings, frustrations with the situation were set aside, and it was a unified effort. Yeah. And that's the goal. You know, I I commend you for coming on here today. Me um, too. I want you to understand something, and I mean this with every fiber inside my body. The things you shared today will literally change a life. And if it's just one, great. If it's just one sister, one mom, one brother, one father who heard and was inspired to get themselves prepared and to do difficult things for their loved one, I also want you to know some of those things you shared that are even hard to get out off of your tongue are more common than you think, and it's unfortunate. We all harbor these secrets. Those moments you've been to, those dark places that you've experienced, so many others have. So here's my promise to you. This will end up becoming the most powerful gift for you to help humanity. But you have to be willing to do what's required, not what you want. And it's a process of becoming because you will stay clean. You will do the things you're supposed to do. But you will become the best version of yourself for what you've been through. And that darkness will end up magnifying you in a way that will help other people. But the kicker is, for that to ever happen, you have to get to a point where you're able to help. And that takes some time. So please know that what you shared today, what you've been through, will quite literally save lives in the future. It will now and it will moving forward. Man. Yeah, thank you. And I, it's funny because I think as a kid, you're like, oh, I'm going to go to hell. Like, I don't want to go to hell, right? But hell, I, I'm learning, is in this life when you choose to not make progress. I feel like that is like the definition of being damned is being alive and staying in one place. Stuck. Yeah. yeah. And you went through quite a few years where that was you. You mm -hmm. were damned. You, it was like a river got dammed up and there was no progress. And now you are fully going forward and it is, it will change lives that you, you may not ever know whose lives you're changing right now. But I also want you to know that you can expect to see a lot more miracles. And I can't forward. wait. Here's the deal. Whether it's three more months, six more months, or a year from now, we're going to have Josh back and we're going to yes, talk about we are. what's transpired. <laughs> because now your challenges are going to be like, you're going to have other people that now you're responsible for and all the other normal challenges of life, right? So we're going to talk about yes. those, but we're going to watch your life unfold. Yep. We're so Let grateful to your be a family part of it. and the rest of us see it happen. Yep. Don't Thank you. don't mess things up, okay? <laughs> we love you, man, and we're glad you tuned in. I hope that was beneficial for everyone. If you have any questions, please reach out. Let us know. Share this podcast, this episode. Share because this you know episode. you know someone, your bestie, your sister, your husband. You need them to listen to this so they can have the courage to move forward. We love you guys. Have a good day. <laughs>